0: you don't own nothing to me, but to walk away. I have no today. well, Today's guest on Corner of Hunter and George, episode 11. That's, quote, his, I think his favorite modern musician, Tears Dry on Their Own, Amy Winehouse. Well, the guest today is uh, Sam Tweedle, former art journalist for Kawartha Now. Now has his website samtweedle.com someone who's been a great source if you want to know about various musicians and theater and artists in town in general he has a deep emotional uh, pers- personalization of various artists in town plus he's talked to many people from out of town who are noteworthy I never thought I'd be bringing up Brian Linehan in any interview I've done. Anyway, this is Corner of Hunter and George, episode 11, where you can subscribe to us on both iTunes and Spotify. On March 23rd of this month, I did two interviews in one day. First was episode 10, Benj Roland. And today, Sam Tweedle, that you may find is broken up into two parts since it was such a, this could have gone on for hours. This interview, and I enjoyed every moment of it. It was one of my more fun interviews. It's a, till now, I would say that was Samara Johnson, but this one um, different, but equally fun and a high range of topics. So I hope you enjoyed this interview today with Sam Tweedle, art journalist his own his own brand, really, samtweedle.com. There's little limit on any of the topics to do with the arts world here in Peterborough and abroad. So you can listen and enjoy.
2: Oh, oh perfect. Perfect. Hello. Uh, How are hello. you? Hello. Good. Hi, Good. Jim. Yes. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm glad we were able to reschedule and get this going tonight.
0: Yeah, same here. Same here. I... I yeah, sometimes uh, these uh, frequent uh, unscheduled things come up. So it's it's good we're able to go into it now anyway. That's all fine.
2: Uh, One yeah. thing I've learned through doing what I do is being highly, as flexible as possible is always the best thing for everyone.
0: Well, yes, I, I'm sure that's the case uh, for mm. someone who's, uh, I guess, more or less you've decided to take the road of freelance journalism. And, um, I, I guess, uh, I guess to start off, how, how is that process coming? Like what sort of, what the benefits of it and certain challenges it has? Wow.
2: Well, that's what a great question to, to start. Well, yeah. you know, I wouldn't even say what I'm doing anymore is even freelance because mm-hmm. I'm not even the idea of freelance journalism is where you, you write a piece and then you sell it and then you get mm-hmm. paid and this is your living. I'm not even doing that anymore. I am just, mm-hmm telling stories supporting the community and there's no exchange of money i don't nobody gives me money i don't give anybody else money it's all basically just an organic um sharing of stories and trying to put people uh you know trying to trying to put people out in the community trying to bring their story further to the next people and the only reason i do it now is because um I don't know what else to do with myself. I, I feel it's my calling, but also it's right. my way of connect, staying connected with the universe. I right. I, I really believe that uh, as people and as artists, um, we need those connections to to keep us involved in in, in the bigger, wider sphere of things. And uh, so, at this point now, it, it's just because. Just because, because as a human being, this is what I believe my path is. So it's not even freelancing anymore. It's just storytelling. It's just a, a content creation.
0: Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's quite uh, quite fascinating, and I hear what you're saying because, uh, mm-hmm. well, in part, yeah, in this age where we easily can become quite narcissistic especially in this Mm -hmm. like social media age uh oh boy yeah i I find that that's uh not necessarily other people yes often other people but even other things and events and just what you're saying stories is kind of what keeps you still your mind kind of uh open to learning or being Mm -hmm. able to discover new things and uh keeping well overall life interesting Right. You know, there's this whole process, the whole idea of me creating
2: SamTweedle.com, being able to continue the kind of storytelling I wanted to tell. I mean, it's a long, there were so many reasons for it. And I mean, it it would take up your entire podcast. I started from the beginning to the end of what made me decide to do it. But I try to tell this one story and I've tried so many times to describe it to people. I'm never able to quite get it right. Here I am, a storyteller, and I can't get this part right. But I had this really powerful moment during COVID, during the uh, the lockdown. Back when we weren't supposed to leave the house, we weren't supposed to uh, see people. You don't know, remember when it was really... If like yes. We all felt if we went on George Street, we were going to drop dead of, of the pandemic, you know? Yes. And I was... Um, when the art so I was working for uh, eight years as an arts and culture journalist here in Peterborough, which really kind of put me in the map, made me become part of the community and it was really uh, a period of my life which ha- had a lot of joy where I learned mm-hmm. a lot, but most of all, I was able to you know make those those connections to be able to uh, you know do my work in this community and when the art shut down, the theater shut down just like musicians and uh, um you, like musicians that lost their venues and, and actors that lost their theaters and directors that lost their, their production companies. I all of a sudden felt found, found myself completely displaced as well because I had, I couldn't make those connections with people to go out and see their shows and, and, and hear those stories. I mean, I was completely displaced. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, like, where – and I was already going through this process of knowing there was a bigger story to be told, knowing I was dissatisfied with a lot of the work I was doing, um, looking for my next move. And I remember, like, I, like a lot of people, I went through a real period of uh, depression and desperation, and uh, I, live, I live, live alone. So it, it, was, it, was a re- it was a time of uncertainty. And I, I remember looking online, I was really scared of being one of those people that there was all the, the memes about sitting on your couch and eating Cheetos and gaining 70 pounds. I was really terrified of that because I love to eat and watch television. So I was spending a lot of time doing physical fitness
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, uh, and it was a way to battle depression and to, to, to get out side by myself. And I remember walking around East city and my mind's racing, like, what am what am I going to do? Like, what's my next move? What's my, I, I've lost my audience. I've lost my subject matter. I've, everything I'm trying to write seems so forced and phony. And all of a sudden it was like, I had this message, like this thought, but it wasn't like an idea. It was more like, and I don't want to get new, uh, like new agey or religious, but almost like an answer came from beyond me.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it said to me, in every society, there has always been the storyteller, the people that chronicle the culture and the society that we live in, be it the um, the balladeers or the jesters or the journalists, the historians. the um, y- 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 basically the people that chronicle the pe- you know the society we live in. It's always been a tradition. There's always and you. Me being Sam Tweedle, I am part of that tradition. My talent's always been able to sit and talk with people and get them to tell me my story, be able to create that honest, that trust and that honesty, and then take those narratives, weave them together, and put them out for other people to discover them. I remember very early on when I first started writing, uh, somebody said, You can take a person that I wouldn't care about make them sound interesting and make me want to know more about them this is something i i believe is my talent and and that was when i was like okay this is what i'm going to do and a part of that really was i had to control my own narrative there was a lot of concerns about narrative and words and who whose words were who when you work for a company when you you know the disclaimers you you hear it stuff Mm -hmm. you know the opinions expressed on the mm-hmm. following, you know, doesn't necessarily uh, that of the corporation. There was a lot of that, those kind of concerns like who owns your words and where is your individualistic voice? You know, I had to take that back. I had to own that. I had to know when people, you know, it, it's not fair for me to, uh, you, you know, be mandated by a corporation or a company just as much as my words should never affect a publisher. Right. And, and that was so important. And, and that's what I started doing. And, and all of a sudden it wasn't for about a paycheck and it wasn't about money and it wasn't about marketing contracts or, or, uh, uh, you know, who, who get, um, advertising or whatever plays into it. And, mm-hmm. and having that more organic, um, more emotional, um, Sort of experience when it when it comes to connecting with people and also being able to say, yes, I want to talk to this person because I believe in them. No, I don't want to talk to that person because I don't believe in them. I don't like what they're doing. I I don't believe in their product. Be able to put my stamp and my backing on exactly the people that I value, and I know you. You know, if you read that I read some wrote some, something, you know that this is someone that I'm going to go to bat for that is the greatest joy of all. And, and there is so much strength in that. And, and, and so that's kind of, I guess that's, I don't know if I answered your question, but that that's kind of, Oh, and another thing, sorry, I'm taking all the
0: oxygen. No, go ahead. no, 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 but
2: no. I, I started doing, uh, when I first started writing, I, I wanted to be entertain an entertainment journalist. And I started, to, I started in the world of, you know, doing celebrity interviews and working in, with people in Hollywood, in New York. And I was a, I'm, I've been able to go back to that. But now that it's not something I'm trying to make a career out of, it's, it's a joy again without that stress or that pressure oh. of, I want this to become my whole life. And uh, I'm not getting lost in that. So it's been such a joy to be able to go back to doing celebrity interviews but also being able to do the, the local stuff that I have such a passion for and to be able to support people in my own community. So I, I've had so much fun uh, going back and forth through those two worlds and the, those two careers that I've had.
0: Yeah, that that combination you have of our local art scene plus uh celebrities, uh, a lot of them perhaps not in the spotlight so much anymore, but they definitely are legends, a few of them that I'll get <laughs> to later. Uh are mm-hmm. is quite yeah, I I find that quite interesting of your site right there. So there I you think know. you kind of were answering that this when you were just talking, but uh so okay. this what you're talking about, that moment in East City, that I take it as something to do with you. Your your site samtweedle dot com is part of a, you're, I think you're saying some emotional and spiritual journey. Right? Oh, extremely, extremely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing
2: I've always had a hard time with is telling my own story. Um, mm-hmm. It's not that I don't. People say, you know, it's not that I don't have stories. I got great stories, mm-hmm. but um, I I don't enjoy writing about myself. I, I find it very difficult to do, and and um, I I find it. It, it, it it's a thin line between um, being self-deprecating or being arrogant. I've never been able to straddle, figure out how to straddle that line.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, some people are so good at it. And, and I, 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 I admire those people, but I've never been able to figure that out. So I've always been more comfortable telling other people's stories. I, again, I think that's part of my challenge, but for me, as I said, to be able to, to, to pick and choose, find those narratives, find those stories and also be able to tell stories that I otherwise wouldn't tell. I really, after a while, I really got pigeonholed into this theatrical thing, uh, which was great. It was so much fun. And I saw, uh, I met a lot of wonderful people, but the truth is, is I got burnt out on it. And I've always been more of a music person. I've always been more of a, 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 a literature person, film. Um, sometimes I felt like a little bit of an imposter, although I did do media studies in school. So my thing was, I'm seeing these productions, and you know, I'm just doing some critical thinking. I'm your audience, right? I can write about stuff, but you know, after a while, I wanted to expand, and I wanted to tell stories that I, I. Otherwise, we well, weren't able to do it. I've been telling a lot of people right now that in 2022, I want to deal with music, which I is, is my passion. Uh, uh, local authors, because my goodness, the literary uh, scene in Peterborough is so incredible and it's so underrepresented. And, and also activists, which uh, I don't think in, in times past, I don't think I had the confidence to write about that kind of stuff. Or perhaps people trusted me to write about it. And some of the stuff that I have put out there and some of the stuff that I have coming up, I think is, is, is uh, stuff I'm excited about because I, um, I, you know, I, I feel I've grown so much as a human being and as a writer through the pandemic and through my own life experiences as life has changed and, and to be able to deal with, 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 local, with activists, both on a local and a national level is uh, is something really, that's a challenge I really want to uh, take on. And I, I'm really happy that there's people willing to talk to me.
0: Right. And your, <laughs> your articles you do on your website are quite uh, in depth, uh, definitely more than you were probably required to do when you were working for and now. Well, you know, let me tell you, Oh, I learned one thing about,
2: you need to understand uh, with the, the schedule that I was on, I had to get stuff done fast. Yeah. And there used to be this magazine in town. What was it? Electric, um, electric city. Yeah. Electric
0: City. Yeah.
2: I really liked what they did. I thought Mm -hmm. they were amazing writers. And sometimes I was in the same, you know, doing the same features and the same articles. And they were, I I don't remember the names of the gentlemen. Uh, Dave tough was one of them. And there was another gentleman and they were such good, phenomenal writers, but, they had a lot longer to be able to sit down and craft something Mm -hmm. like they could work on something for a week. I literally had to see a show, come home and have that thing popped out by noon the next day. Mm -hmm. Like I had to go home and get that thing written fast. And I didn't have the time to sit down and really craft something. And that was only based on schedules. You know, that Mm -hmm. was nothing else. It was never about my demands or, or what anybody was putting on me. It was just uh, schedules was to have uh, a week to be able to craft something like to transcribe an article, uh, s- spend some time with the tape thinking about the subject uh, really investing in their work in a big way and be able to, to focus on the narrative. It's a whole different type of storytelling that um, I don't think a regular journalism um, has time to do. Like that was just the now, like i I think of somebody like Joel Kovac, uh, K- Kovac from the Examiner, oh,
1: yeah. who yes. would even
2: be on an even shorter schedule than I was, and mm-hmm. the way that she would be able to turn around articles was like mind-boggling. But again, sometimes maybe it lacked the same kind of depth. Like I, I can't even imagine what she could do if she had a longer amount of time to be able to piece that together. I think it's really the difference between. Doing journalism and doing a uh, uh, a more relaxed, controlled form of for, form of writing. Journalism, mm-hmm. it's hard work, and and you got to put pop these things out. So, I love the slower pace. There's no doubt about it. And I'm going to reveal something to you that I've talked to about, but I've never talked publicly about. So this is a this is an exclusive. Okay. Near the end of my time doing journalism, I was dealing with a lot of severe anxiety when it came to articles, sometimes they weren't getting down out fast enough because the pace was causing me an extreme amount of anxiety and, and, and I couldn't put together the thoughts of the words fast enough as I want to. Sometimes deadlines did get missed and um, to be able to flush out that anxiety um, and, and, and work at a slower pace, I think has not just made me a better writer, um but it's helped improve the quality of my life as well and and no one ever put that stress on me that was something I created myself just based on um you know the kind of work it was so right it's tough work um theater being a theater critic I hated that word critic uh but but being an arts journalist um especially in a small mar- uh uh a uh, small city mm-hmm. and a small arts community it's it's tough because uh i look back at some of the work i did and and even especially near the end sometimes i wasn't maybe the most honest i could be or or i was writing things and i would go back and write it and i feel like uh you know I, I there was just emotions in play because you became so connected to the arts community Mm -hmm. that you were, I was always looking for something to lift something up and support something and move something forward because I was more of a fan of the people doing the art than perhaps where the quality of it might've been. And, and sometimes uh, I felt uh, at near the end, a little bit of a sellout sometimes I felt like I was Mm -hmm. selling myself out and um, it's just, it's really, it's a difficult when you start putting emotions and empathy into the stuff. And that's the kind of writer I am. Oh wow. It's, it's hard. Um, So uh, to ever review, do reviews again, that's something I'll never do that again. Mm -hmm. I did it for eight years and it was amazing. It was an amazing eight years. Uh, but uh, I know there was one show I will not reveal what the show was it was one of the final it wasn't the final I I just wanted to specify it was not the final review I ever wrote final review mm-hmm. I ever wrote was Equus in March 2020 at the Theatre on King which was mm-hmm. a phenomenal production Um, but it, w- it was be- prior to that I, I did it I, man I, I I saw a show I swear to God I had PTSD bot from it because it was just so phenomenally terrible and um, but there was fr- i, I there, there was friends of mine in it there was the directors were people I got along with. I loved the theater I had this um you know so much joy in my heart for everybody doing it right but my god it, it was it was horrible and um, I remember going back a year later or when I started really thinking go working through some stuff emotionally, looking back at that article, going, Oh dear God, I should have never said any th- I should have just walked away and not wrote this thing. You know, just mm. I used to have this theory that I used to always say this. Directors and producers of theater, they're magicians. Like they are magicians. They can take an idea take a desire to do something and become so organized that they can bring it to life in front of an audience and turn it into a product and make it happen. That takes so much skill and and so much, um, so much skill. It's not easy. And I used to always say, if you can get something on stage, you've, you've impressed me by 50%. Like you've already done something most people can't do. Right. And I used to really, what definitely not no yeah and I used to really find that as being part of the magic and uh, Mm -hmm. so I never wanted to go in and just because it's something I didn't like something I never wanted to crush it under my heel because well who am I I'm just one guy you know these people have put so much of their 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 soul and their heart and their time into this like let it succeed let it live let it find its its audience and that that was always a big thing in the back of my mind and and i still think that's true i think that's the way it should be i think everybody's art and you know if they are willing to put the time and put the love and put the effort and be the best they can be who the hell cares what some outsider that's writing for you know something comes in and says about it like
0: really it's it's arrogant and pompous so So, right so with these various portraits and uh-huh. uh, stories you have of different people, are you using sort of different say interview or journalistic techniques than you would have in your past uh, because you're like you said you're not you're not being a critic you're...
2: No, well not really mm-hmm. um, I really like doing profile work the profile work was always my favorite when I got the chance to do it mm-hmm. uh, I think it's about. Well, there's a lot. You know, it, it, it's stuff I cultivated over time. Uh, you're, you, I'm, I'm not sure how old you are, but you're around my age. Do you remember a journalist on television? He had his own talk show, a guy named Tom Snyder. Oh, yeah.
0: Yes, I yeah. do.
2: She, I'm, a huge, I, I'm a huge fan of Tom Snyder. He's a huge mm-hmm. inspiration to me.
1: Yeah.
2: And he would sit down and he would ask questions to people that would really open up conversation. So really, became conversations more than question answer, Mm -hmm. and in that he could, um, you know, he could really create, and and he would ask the right questions, respond to those questions with um, uh, respond to their 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 answers to open up more questions, but also give them the tip the time to talk and think and and just be smart and intelligent, and uh, I learned very early in my career by a piece of advice somebody gave me to um learn to listen and not to pigeonhole people into what you think the story is going to be um, a great example an example just, just for example um it's an unpublished interview from from years ago i never did publish it but one time i had the chance to talk to Lorette switt from from um mash mash yeah and i got on the phone with her for an hour and all we talked about was animals she's (laughs) really into um um helping support animals and animal rights so we talked about cats and dogs and horses and how much we loved cats and dogs and horses that's all we talked about for an hour and and after our hour is up to i got the phone i said oh by the way miss witt and she goes yeah i'm like Mash was great too. And she <laughs> she she laughed. She loved it. And I sometimes if you give people the chance to talk about those subjects they want to instead of something they did 40, 50 years ago, the the, the hue the the story you're gonna get, that piece of their soul, that's really gonna bring out that human what makes them a human person. Makes them uh just glow as a human. And and I think that's so much more interesting than have somebody talk, you know, about something that you
0: think is important instead of discovering what they think is important. Well, so, yeah. well, yeah, that's, I, I, yeah, I think that is one of the tricks right there mm-hmm. for it. Uh, I've, I've seen that in other people too. If I, uh, yeah, the ancient past too, like, uh, is, is I don't know if he was. Good at letting them talk about what they wanted to, but he always had these provoke pro, uh, provocative, provocative question? cl- questions. Somewhat it was uh, mm-hmm. Brian Linehan, if you remember him. Linehan's amazing. Yes, uh, yes. I,
1: it, you know,
2: in my time, people have uh, people have thrown out names that they think I'm like. A Linehan has been thrown at me often. Al Yost obviously, people have compared me to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linehan was was incredible. The things he you know. I mean, yes. there was an example of a guy that would go in there and he would do his research. Uh, and I've always tried to do my research as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what used to drive me nuts, I so I used to do a lot of stuff in Toronto in press rooms and watching people from the big networks I, um, would come in and they would sit down in front of somebody. A great example, I don't want to name the network or who the interviewer was, but he was mm-hmm. famous. And he sat down with Roger Corman mm-hmm. and you could tell he had no idea who this man was or, or what any of the films were. And wow. I was there to also interview Roger Corman. Of course, mm-hmm. I know I'm a huge movie buff. I, I could talk about stuff like little shop of horrors, bucket of blood, a um, death race, 2000, like, like all these great films. And Corman calls him out. He says, "Son, you've never seen any of my movies, have you?" That's what he says <laughs> to this guy. You know, the big city. I, I sometimes you watch these people on the red carpet, and the best question they can ask is, "Did you ever think you'd be here?" And where did you get your shoes? You know, like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: like, like, like. Be prepared. And Linehan's a great example of that. I mean, my my goodness. I, I tell people who do interviews, I always say, study other interviewers, mm-hmm. study people like, you know, and, and anybody from Barbara Walters to Johnny Carson, they all had their own style. They all, all had their own strengths. And, um, you know, you should stu- study, what, uh, study what they do and, and figure out what kind of interviewer you want to be, what kind of material you do you want to produce? That was one of the hardest, one of the hardest lessons I had to learn, is that we all produce our own type of material, and then there's a different audience for stuff. I used to be, uh, I could used to get quite elitist in, when I when I first started out. I had to, I had to be knocked down to earth a few times, and I always wanted to be the guy that was doing some, something for the New Yorker. So if there was a BuzzFeed person, I would look down my nose at them. You know, you're just writing trash, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and I could, I I could be quite the troll, but someone, and actually, do you know who it was, was, uh, you know, Gord Gibb here in town. He works for Chorus.
1: Oh yeah. Yes. One time
2: Gord heard me being a bit of a, a bit of an egotistical troll. And he Mm -hmm. took me aside and he explained something really important to me. And he said that, that, that media is almost like a piece of pie and there's enough pie to go around for everyone. And the person who's reading your article is great, but they're, and they're not reading the people reading the the New Yorkers, not reading Buzzfeed, but the people reading Buzzfeed aren't reading the New Yorker. No. And that to tell, and it's important for people as subjects to tell their story as much as they're possible to as much media as possible, because if you can get your story in the New Yorker and Buzzfeed, you can get two different audiences. Mm-hmm. And, and all media is important in that way. And it took me a long time to, uh, to learn that. And, uh, when, and once I did, it opened so much of a world to me, um, you know, to embrace that. I'm not a competitive person anymore. Uh, I don't believe in exclusives and I always tell people I work with, tell your story to as many people as possible.
0: So, okay. yeah. Well, I'll, uh, I'll try to get to some of these interviewees. You're uh, I'm
1: sorry. I keep like, kicking no, up. All right. all the- no, okay, it's, I uh,
0: no, I think it's important that you're covering this and you're mm-hmm. uh, giving me an idea of uh, how you approach this. I think it's quite vital, mm-hmm. but I just mm-hmm. uh, also, I guess going to the, maybe not actually interviewees, people who've had okay. a big effect on you, judging from oh. what I've read and mm-hmm. maybe you could give like sort of a synopsis of, of this, but uh She's, she must be present, because I swear I'm seeing a poster of her behind you, but Amy Winehouse. Oh, has my
2: to be goodness. Somebody. Oh, uh, my goodness. Amy Winehouse. Yes. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a record collector. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm a huge music peep person. And um, I remember I, w- I was doing uh, PopCultureAddict.com at the time. Most of my interest in um, media is all retro. Okay. That's actually something that's really funny. Sometimes I'll go online. and I'm like, Oh, I just booked like an interview, a huge interview. I'm so excited. It's someone I've always wanted to talk to and everybody gets really excited. Like it's going to be like, like Matt Damon or, or, right. or, 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 or uh, I don't know. Uh, um, Matt Damon's the only name I could come at, but whoever the big hot actor is right now, you know, sure. Jack Black or whoever they're yeah. expecting this huge name. And then I'll finally reveal. I'm like, yeah, it's Billy Henchy. And everybody's like, who I'm like Billy Henchy, you know, for Billy D- D- Dino Desi and Billy. And they're like, what? I'm like, seriously, it's such a great pop culture story. It's great. This happens all the time. I just announced last week that I'm going to be interviewing David Selby, who is one of my all time favorite actors. I'm so excited. And I know most people are going to what, uh, who, you know? Mm-hmm. So I remember So, anyways, back to Amy Winehouse. I remember, um, I was doing popcultureaddict.com at the time. I had no um I kept getting people, people would write me all the time, and ask me, "Well, what do you think of this? What do you think of that?" A lot of time it was media stories. Mm-hmm. And uh I I had no idea who Amy Winehouse was. I I didn't I didn't listen to the radio. I didn't listen to modern music. And uh I kept getting she this was when she was doing all the drugs and she was in the tabloids and 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 everything was just rotten for her. And people were writing me, and they were going, uh, "You know, what do you think of Amy Winehouse? What do you think of what, Amy? Winehouse? Isn't she crazy? sketchbag? And I'm like, "Who is this? Who is this person?" So I decided, instead of reading the what the internet was saying about her, why don't I do this in this amazing thing and and listen to her music? You know, maybe I should start with the music instead of the tabloids. And I remember the first song I ever heard by her was uh, uh, "Tears Dry, uh, Dry on Their Own." And it was like, it was like, it was like hearing music again for the first time in my life. It, it blew me to the moon. And, um, um, she, wherever, where I was at that point in my life, I guess, or, or where I was, it just spoke to me, man. She just captured something in me. And, um, um, I just have such a, She still every day still, Blows my mind. The irony is, if I think if I ever knew her or met her in real life, I don't think we would have got along very well. I think she would have drove me nuts.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think she had some uh some 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 issues, some psychological issues that are things yeah. that drive me crazy about people when I actually know them. Yeah, that's but, quite uh likely. <laughs> Oh yeah, exactly. I <laughs> yeah. think she would have drove me just crazy. But yeah. But yeah, I, 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 but, but still, um, I'm still not a big fan of modern music, maybe a little bit more now than I was at that time. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I think when it comes to recording artists from the last 20 years, Amy Winehouse is definitely still my favorite. So, okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now here's, here's another one here, not an interviewee, but it's a Uh subject you've taken an interest in, uh, the royal family. So. <laughs> oh, which I, I, I have a very, uh, yes, my parents forced me to get up early and watch Charles and Diana, more my mother than my father. And it's, it's, and the beloved now Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson. Oh, yeah, Sarah and Fer- An- yes. A- Andrew yeah. and Fergie. Huh? Yeah, Andrew and Fergie. Um, a bit of uh, yeah, uh, William and Kate too. Uh, mm-hmm. I, but uh, I, I really, honestly, am I, I, I don't really have a great deal of use for them myself. But I am curious, so if fair. someone takes an interest in them, uh, yes.
2: well, here's there's two two answers, <laughs> a couple of different answers to that. Mm-hmm. You brought up Charles and Di. When I was a little kid, uh, I was in the first grade, and my first grade teacher, who was a lovely woman named Miss Coombs she was a Royal watcher. So she was always incorporating in current events, things about the Royal family. And I remember she, so she told us, you know, if you get up on Monday morning or Saturday morning, I don't remember what day it was, but if you, if you get up tomorrow morning at the crack of fricking dawn, you're going to see the Prince, marry the princess. Now to me, princes and princesses, that was stuff in fairy tales. That wasn't real but there was a prince and he was going to marry this princess. And if I got up at the crack of dawn, I was going to be able to see this. Like that captured my imagination in the first grade. And I remember getting up and going downstairs while the house was all still dark. My parents were still in bed and watching whatever this was. I mean, it was boring and it was weird, but there I was watching it as a first grader. And it, I think it's the first historical event that I actually can remember. But what was also interesting is I had a, a relative I had, or not had, I shouldn't talk about him in past tense, my, my, my uncle Ed. And my uncle Ed is, is, is a long time Royal watcher. And I think there was a definitely an influence through him and discussing these things with him and his knowledge. And, um, so it was something I was always highly aware of on that sense. Uh, we have, I have a deep respect for the Royal family, but this is my thing about them. I think they're extraordinarily human. <laughs> they're they're humans. They're people. And as media consumers, I, I hate, I absolutely hate negative, negative uh, headlines about the Royal family that are stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, Harry ate a hundred jelly beans and tripped. And was he drunk? Was he on drugs or did he just fall yesterday? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, Will went to uh, right now, Will and Kate are in Jamaica and Mm -hmm. they're all like everybody's angry that Will and Kate are in Jamaica, that this is awful. This is the worst thing ever that they went to Jamaica and we're going to make up some kind of story. They always talk about how Will and Harry are feuding, but how do we really know that? How do we know that they're not having late night conversations on their cell phones about how things are really going on? Like the, 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 these dreadful, terrible, and we got to remember, they're, they're people with flaws. Mm-hmm. They're people with flaws. And that's the thing. That's the thing is, is we, we, um, we, 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 amplify their flaws for clickbait Mm -hmm. and and it's vile. It's disgusting. These are people that were born into these roles. They didn't ask for it. They were born into it. I can't even imagine what their perception of reality is. They have no perception of what real life is. They really don't No, And we'll never understand that. Uh, My, my favorite Royals is Prince Harry. I am a huge Prince Harry fan. And, uh, the two things I love about him he's always tried to stay human like he's the guy who hit a report a, a cameraman when he got too close he's the guy who got caught smoking dope uh, marijuana when he was in boys school
1: mm-hmm.
2: he he knows he's not going to be king so he's always tried to stay human I mean he went to he 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 went to uh uh was it Afghanistan or Iraq or something. I can't remember if it was Iraq or yeah, Afghanistan. Yeah. But you know what I mean. Like he mm-hmm. has always tried to stay extraordinarily human, and and I really love him for it. And even to the point now where he's like, you know what? Like I'm not going to be king anyway. And everybody's being toxic and shitty about my life and my wife and my thing. So I'm 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 pulling out of this. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm out. You know, because this isn't working for me. I, I got, and, and what does everybody do? Everybody gets upset and, and, and start, you know, like, or they say they're upset. What does it really matter? You know, it's not Rocky in our worlds. If he decided he wanted to move to California, like, come on. Well, so, yeah. so I, I'm fascinated by the Royal family, but also trying to find those human elements in them, you know? And uh, I, 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 I think, with some of the older generation like the queen and definitely prince Charles, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's much, much harder to, to maybe find those human elements because they're, they've been so, you know, wrapped up into this for, you know, for so long. Mm-hmm. But, but I think, I think that's uh now my uncle Ed, I don't, I don't think my uncle Ed would have the same opinions as I do on that, but, uh, but
0: that's the difference between our ages too. So. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, now some mm-hmm. interviewees you've done outside sure. of Peterborough of PP P- <laughs> now uh, grow. Again, I'll add a bit of a story of my own. here. Now, I, I do, I, I do want to say
2: that, that yeah. uh, I I'm slowly trying to rebuild my, my interview archive. I, I've been doing this for 20 years. and I have about 300 celebrity interviews and oh, most wow. of them aren't even on the internet anymore. And it, it, it's a process to get them all back up. I tried to do one. I was at one point trying to do one a week, get up my old archive mm-hmm. and it's, uh, I find now that I'm, I'm trying more like one a month, so it, it'll be years until I get
0: everything I used to have online. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Well, I, that that's that's maybe a worthy task, though, because yeah. some of the people I'm mentioning here, I mm-hmm. I have uh, major connections with. Honestly, uh, not personally, but uh, through my own life. I, I grew yeah. up uh, in the day and age of uh, well, when I was about five or six, I still had black and white TV. You only got about three or four channels, but one of them, mm-hmm. since I lived uh, right near Lake Simcoe, across the lake, was a channel out of Barrie, and every day at noon, they played Leave It to Beaver. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, and uh, of course, uh, one of the most uh, memorable characters was <laughs> Eddie Haskell, so you got to ch- once chat with Ken Osmond. I, I got awesome.
2: I got to meet, now, most of my interviews I do yeah. over the telephone. Yes. Uh, Ken Osman was somebody who I actually did get to actually meet face-to-face and talk with. Mm-hmm. Uh, can can I, now he's passed away, but yes. like, do, do, do you want me to be completely honest? Sure. Go ahead. I found him to be about as charismatic as Melba toast. Um, okay. I, I found him to just be this guy that really didn't have a lot to say. And mm-hmm. no matter what I, I would ask him a question and he'd go, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. People seem to like it. And it was like, okay. he was so hard. He was such a, he was a really hard interview because he wouldn't commit to anything. I think I even, pre-ma- the interview online, it's very short because I think I even ended it prematurely mm-hmm. because he was so difficult to engage with. Nice enough guy, like, you know, but he was standoffish. And, and someone told me, one. Now I know people who, been in the Hollywood scene for a long time, just through my connections and my networking. And somebody who knew some of the uh, the, the Leave It to Bieber people said that he used to be really good friends with Frank Banks, who played um, uh, Lumpy. Lumpy, yeah, I was going to say Lumpy, yeah. Yes, and they did all their appearances together, mm. so it's, they would out as a pair. Frank Banks was the talker. Mm-hmm. Why Ken Osmond was the quiet one, right? And I met Ken Osman about a year after Frank Banks died. So he had mm-hmm. just started going out on his own. And I, I, I wonder if that had something to do with it. Maybe he wasn't used to
0: being the guy that had to talk. So I I think he was a, the quieter end of the pair. Okay. Well, I can understand you being disappointed because I used to yeah. always, I, used, I think he used to always have a, uh, legend of being like the 1950s version of the devil incarnate, kind of no. thing. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, he became a he became a cop afterwards. He was an LAPD yeah. officer, uh, and he was
2: shot like multiple times in the line of duty. Right. No, just so, that yeah.
0: that Eddie Haskell thing, though, is
2: oh.
1: uh,
0: left. Yes. Um,
2: when it comes to people who are like, when you meet celebrities, I've met hundreds of them, mm-hmm. and I'm not kidding. One of my the most annoying phrases I say to people when I'm watching movies or talking, looking at a book or looking at a magazine or watching a show is, Oh yeah, I've met him. Oh, I've talked to him. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm constantly saying that I don't try not to be a name dropper, but you're, it's going to be one of two things. Either they're going to be nothing like their character or they're going to be everything like their character. Two examples. It's the two extreme examples. I could think of is Henry Winkler is nothing like Fonzie. Mm hmm He is so down to earth. He is so normal. He's so, well, Fonzie, I guess, was friendly, but he's just such a down to earth, peaceful dude. Mm
1: -hmm. He
2: doesn't, he's not cool like Fonzie. He's cool in his own way, Mm -hmm. but not like the Fonzie. He has the Fonzie face and that's about it. Right. On the other hand, uh, I met and interviewed um, Larry Hagman, who was J.R. Ewing. Yes. That guy's J.R. Ewing. I mean, no. he gives you the sneer and comes, it has that, that, that energy. Hmm. I, I'm not saying he's evil like J.R. Ewing, but you know, but he, he, you know, you could, you, you, you could see there was something in it. Another guy. And I mean, he, I don't think he ever acted in his life was uh Davy Jones. He was just oh, himself.
1: Really? Yeah. What you just...
2: met, what you met in real person was who he was on the monkeys. Yeah. Like that was him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, you're going to get someone as some of the nicest people I met are some of your most vile screen villains. Um, mm-hmm. Malcolm McDowell, who I didn't interview, but I, I met, mm-hmm. uh, who is Alex from A Clockwork Orange, is, 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 is quite a nice man. Robert England, uh, again, I didn't interview him, but I met him, is just so warm and interesting and funny. Mm-hmm. Not like Freddy Krueger. Well, I guess right. Freddy Krueger is funny, but... But,
0: you know but yeah
1: yeah
0: yes <laughs> or sort of different now one last one i guess because i just recently saw a documentary mm-hmm. on this uh at our reframe festival but uh and i believe he just recently passed away but that's uh Luis from sesame street uh, that you- oh my god yes yes yeah, so so that that documentary is quite uh, powerful for me because again someone uh, i yeah. think i watched sesame street when they were at their peak in my opinion yeah create it creatively. So, uh, when I was well, single, a me, child's age, I, I I'm still dealing emotionally with this. Yes. And, okay. And so,
2: and no, no, let's talk about mm-hmm. it because right. this will be again, something I haven't written or discussed.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, since I started doing samtweedle.com, the majority of my interviews, uh, celebrity interviews come from an agent from, uh, that I, that I dealt with back when I was trying to be an entertainment journalist. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I deal exclusively with him and his people and usually whoever he sends me. Mm -hmm. A few times I've gone out on my own where I actually connect with people where I, I write them personally and say, Mm -hmm. I'd like to interview you. I have only done it a few times, uh, since I started sandtweedle.com and, and Emilio Delgado, who is Louise from Sesame street was one of those people that I Mm -hmm. wrote and connected with. I was going through something at the time. Um, I I was trying to make a connection here in town and I hope someday it comes together, but I started becoming very um, concerned with xenophobia Mm -hmm. and the amount of racism that I was experiencing in Peterborough. Mm -hmm. Um, And we say that we don't have racism in Peterborough. Maybe we do now, but I know as a middle-aged white guy, Mm-hmm. I can go to the Tim Hort- local Tim Hortons or I can go to the uh, local Costco or whatever and I will run into other middle-aged white guys and they'll say something almost a challenge me to see where do I sit on the fence of people from other countries people from mm-hmm. India, people from Syria, people from um, uh, from wherever, you know, especially Middle East countries and people will challenge like they will challenge me to see if they make a racist comment. Am I going to follow up? What am I going to do? I experienced this so much in my life. Mm -hmm. And it was something that was really starting to bother me. And I started thinking, well, why as a person was I not, was I, uh, you know, this was never who I was. And a, a big part of it was my mother who had friends coming into the home who were from India, who were black, who were gay. And this is the early eighties in Peterborough, which was one of the whitest communities of all time. And mom somehow was finding these people that was, you know, from other cultures. And they were, (laughs) my mom was, if you would come in and play cards with her, she didn't care where you were from. Right. Mm -hmm. And I realized that was part of it. But the other thing to me was Sesame street because I was, the, the television was the world as I saw it. Mm-hmm. And here I was watching the show where people were black, people were Hispanic, people were uh, were indigenous. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was so normal to me. This is what people looked like. Mm-hmm. This is what the world looked like was what I saw on Sesame street. So when I started doing a lot of thinking about that, I really wanted to reach out to someone from Sesame street and discuss this. And that's what our interview, a lot of is. we talk about, race and culture and how it normalized it for community, you know, people like white kids like me who lived in very white communities. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I reached out, uh, Louise was my favorite character on Sesame street. Like he was, yeah, Mm -hmm. I I love Louise. I don't know why, Mm -hmm. but Louise was my favorite. So I I was, I was following Emilio Delgado for a while on, on social media and I reached out to him and he, he got back to me. He wrote me back and and we sat down. I took, it was in the middle of, my, it was my lunch hour at work. I went and sat in the, you know, outside and talked to him for about an hour. And, and just hearing that voice, that familiar voice coming off the phone. I've had that happen so many times to me where celebrities like Eric Braden or uh, Paul Williams or Ed Asner, they have such distinct voices. And when they're mm-hmm. responding to you, it's amazing. And I was so happy that I was able to tell him that, I love you. Thank you for creating this world for me. Thank mm-hmm. you for o- opening my eyes to cultural di- uh, diversity. Like you are the reason I am the person I am you and the rest of the people on your show. I was able to say that to him. And, um, and that was in November, October, or November of last year. And little did we know he was diagnosed with cancer about a month later. Right. And, and passed away. Uh, It it was a, it was, it was, it was a blow to me because um, earlier that year, I I brought him up in this interview. I interviewed this guy, Billy Hinchey. And I I ended up being the second last interview Billy Hinchey ever did because he Hmm. was diagnosed with cancer about three weeks after I interviewed him Hmm. and died in December. This is Hmm. the second time this has happened to me in a very short period of time. And, um, you know, I know it's just someone I talked to once, but I remember one time, uh, I used to write celebrity obituaries a lot. And I remember one time some jackass boyfriend of a uh, friend of mine who was looking to, 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 ex boyfriend of a friend of mine who was looking mm-hmm. to slam me was saying that I took celebrity deaths too seriously. But when there are people that, that I've actually spoken to and I've made that emotional connection with in one conversation, it, it, it makes a little different you know i find this human element in these people i have this human connection with them and uh um i uh, the, this the, the the death of emilio delgado is still very raw for me especially mm-hmm. after uh you know with, with the, the thing with billy hinchy earlier this year and now i as i said david selby i i wrote him and now he said he's going to talk to me and i'm like oh my god i, I don't want to be that guy that just keeps interviewing <laughs> <laughs> my icons and then they 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 slowly pass away so uh, hopefully uh david selby will be around but anyways that's that's the first i've been able to talk about that so
0: thank you so much for bringing that up right, and yeah, letting no, me unpack I'm, that oh well, my yeah my pleasure anyone you're getting from the, the that i that i kind of remember a lot from my childhood i can't resist so there you heard part one my interview with Sam Tweedle, you can maybe see why I really enjoyed it I I just couldn't uh, resist talking about uh, figures from my childhood I mean, I didn't really think I'd be talking about Eddie Haskell anytime soon and definitely you heard that moving tribute there to uh, Luis uh, Emilio Delgado of Sesame Street which I I love the documentary from from Reframe Film Festival Anyways, on Corner of Hunter and George, we're going to have Part 2 up again soon. And uh, I'll see you then, and that should be up before too long. And I hope you continue to listen and enjoy the fascinating Sam Tweedle.
1: Sometimes I sit and look at the sky And wonder why the sky is so high